Hey Rip City, this is Jeremy Grant, and you're listening to Section 113 with Travis Demers. The Blazers' homestand continues as we continue on here in another edition of the Section 113 podcast. Today we're going to get the perspective of the Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that's already beaten the Blazers once this season and really looks like one of the three or four teams in the Eastern Conference that can actually represent the East in the NBA Finals. So to do that, we're going to welcome in the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. Tim, it's great to talk to you, man. How are you? Your first time in Portland. First time in Portland, my fourth year with the Cavaliers. But uh, because of COVID, uh, the first three years, for different reasons each year, I was never able to make the trip to Portland. So beautiful city. Uh, Can't wait to see it uh, in the daylight tomorrow before the game tomorrow night. Is there anywhere else that you haven't visited yet? This was the very last stop as far as arenas that I had not yet been to. Of course, uh, we played in Salt Lake uh, on Tuesday night against the Jazz, and those were the final two that I had not been to, uh, Salt Lake and Portland. So I got them back-to-back in the same week. There you go. I, I have one spot left, Boston. We're going to go there in uh, in March. I've been there, but I've never called a game there, and I've been told the the broadcast position – Uh, by pretty much every other announcer in the league. That's not the most ideal setup there in Boston. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. (laughs) Uh, You're in a corner and you're low. So when the ball is down at the other end of the floor in the same corner that you're in, you have no clue who has the ball. Just look for the ball going up in the air, and you'll know it's a shot, and then you'll figure out as they come running back to the other end who actually shot the basketball. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was good to know. Um, I want to start with where the Cavs are right now, because you look at a couple of years ago and it was a team that was struggling. Young players hadn't quite found an identity yet, but now you look at Cleveland and they are a legit contender in the East. How have they built this team and put them together the way they have? Uh, Travis, it's a great question. And uh, build is the proper term. Uh, and that's what I really like about this team. They have built it organically. Uh, through shrewd drafting, uh, some terrific trades that have been pulled off. Of course, the biggest one this past offseason, bringing Donovan Mitchell in. But uh, our president of basketball operations, Kobe Altman, uh, along with general manager Mike Ganzi and and our head coach, J.B. Bickerstaff, they have really put this team together slowly. Of course, uh, when LeBron departed the second time, uh, everything had really been torn down to the studs. And so they had to start from scratch and uh, the first draft pick uh, that they inherited or that they made uh, following LeBron's second departure was Colin Sexton. Uh, they followed that up with Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, uh, Evan Mobley. So there was this core group. And then the real turning point uh, for me, Travis, and I think if you would ask Cavs fans and those in the organization, uh, Kobe Altman was able to maneuver himself into that James Harden deal. Uh, people, of course, remember the, the Harden trade, but they forget it was a four-team deal. And the yeah. Cavs got themselves immersed in that, knowing that Brooklyn was going to have to shed some salary uh, to bring Harden in. Uh, they got their hands on Jared Allen, and they had really coveted Jared Allen for a while, but hadn't been able to make it work. Well, when they knew Brooklyn wanted James Harden and would have to create some salary space to bring Harden in, uh, Kobe Altman very deftly uh, got himself involved in that deal. So now you had Jared Allen, uh, as I mentioned, the addition of Evan Mobley, last year's number three pick overall, Darius Garland, and Sexton. 
And so that became the building blocks of uh, what was going to be the transition of this franchise. And uh, last year, of course, uh, they really catapulted. They went from 22 wins the year before to 44 wins last year. It was simply remarkable, uh, the turnaround that was made. And then, of course, so one of those pieces was Colin Sexton, but he, along with Lowry Marketin and this year's uh, first-round draft pick, Ochai Abaji, sent to Utah for Donovan Mitchell, and that has just accelerated the process. But it it really has been done shrewdly uh, by Kobe Altman, and as I mentioned, GM Mike Ganzi, and then J.B. Bickerstaff has been the perfect coach to blend all of these pieces together. Yeah, I want to get back to Markinen in a minute, because I, I know you saw him again, and I want to get your, your thoughts on what he's been doing this year. But Donovan Mitchell has always been a very good player, right? There's been some people who will argue that he's a superstar. Others will argue that he can't carry a team. And the playoff issues have always been there for him in Utah. There, there are a number of reasons that you can you can point there. But this makeup around him is, is, to me, the most balanced team that he's had around him in his career. What has made him stand out? Because it wasn't just the 71-point game. Anybody can look at that and say, wow, that's incredible. But he has been as consistent as anybody in the league has. Oh, there's no doubt. Uh, he has blended in from day one. Uh, he accepted the Cavs' culture. He accepted his teammates. Uh, he has been the consummate pro as far as uh, really embracing this organization and the team. So uh, it's been incredible the way he has filled right in. Uh, I tend to lean more the uh, the superstar route as far as uh, the caliber of player that Donovan Mitchell is. Yeah. Uh, I like to say he was hiding in plain sight in Utah. Yeah, he had a, a terrific five years, three times an all-star. But yeah. how many times do you see Utah the past few years on a TNT or on an ESPN? And uh, nothing against you folks on the West Coast. But, uh, you know, those in those Eastern time zones, they weren't seeing a lot of Donovan Mitchell. And so uh, he has even surprised me uh, insofar as how good he is. Uh, he's career high in points and assists and just doing a magnificent job. So uh, he has carried the ball club through the first half of the campaign. There is absolutely no doubt about it. As you said, uh, anybody can talk about a 71-point ball game, but he yeah. has been consistent throughout. He had a little bit of a lull uh, for about two or three games, ironically, before the 71-point outburst. And, boy, he showed how you bust out of a slump. And uh, But he has just been magnificent and I think he's going to be the cornerstone of this franchise for several years to come. I want to get your thoughts on J.B. Bickerstaff, because when when he was you know the interim head coach, right when, when John Beeline got fired, it was such a strange situation from the outside. It, it's difficult for college coaches to, especially ones who've been around as long as John Beeline, have to step in and you know be an NBA head coach. Right? It just doesn't always translate. But J.B. Bickerstaff, in, in basketball circles, people talk about him like he's a Hall of Fame coach, but he never has really had the opportunity to, for any length of time, be an NBA head coach. He's gotten that opportunity now in Cleveland, and he's he's showing what he can do. Why are we just now seeing what J.B. Bickerstaff can be as an NBA head coach, and what has he done with this team? Well, Travis, that's a great question. Uh, J.B. was brought to the Cavaliers uh, initially under John Beeline, who you referenced, but uh, J.B. was the associate head coach, and, and there was a plan in place. Obviously, it got accelerated very quickly, but yes. uh, J.B. was the head coach in waiting. 
uh, and then John stepped out uh, in his first year. And so all of a sudden, JB became the head guy. But he had been a head coach twice before in the in the NBA, but both times on an interim basis. Uh, he took over in Houston. He took over in Memphis. And then both of those organizations decided to go in a different direction at the end of the season. So yeah. this is the first team, Travis, that JB has had the opportunity to say, I didn't have to compete for the job once I became the interim coach. Uh, once he stepped in for John Beeline, he was the head coach. Uh, there was no mistake in that after that season concluded, it was still going to be JB. He didn't have that opportunity in Houston and Memphis. So uh, he's got great bloodlines as far as uh, coaching is concerned. His dad, Bernie Bickerstaff, uh, one of the all-time greats as far as NBA head coaches are concerned. So JB grew up around the NBA game. Uh, he grew up being a ball boy and being around his dad and doing the things that young kids do that immerse themselves in the game of NBA basketball to learn the game. So uh, he has seen it from all angles. And I think that's hugely beneficial. Uh, talk to somebody like a Steven Silas. Uh, they, they know what the game is about as far as the NBA level is concerned. They know how to handle a locker room. So uh, JB in that aspect uh, was tailor-made for the job, especially with a very young basketball team. Uh, Travis, he's a great teacher. Uh, yeah. We're around him day in and day out, and to watch him in practice sessions. Uh, he lets his assistant coach his coach, which I also think is very important. He just doesn't dictate everything. Uh, he lets those assistants do their job. In fact, he's got a couple of ex-head coaches on his staff, so he's comfortable with that. Uh, but he's also an educator, and with a young team, you know, I mentioned Darius Garland, Jared still young, uh, Okoro, Mobley in his second year. Uh, there's still a lot of instruction. There's still a lot of teaching, and that is one of JB's great strengths. We saw the report today from Woj that it sounds like Ricky Rubio is going to at least make an effort to play on Thursday night. He's officially listed as questionable right now. He's been out a while, obviously, with the knee injury. What would his return mean when he does finally get back into a groove and plays like Ricky Rubio should? What does his addition mean to this team? Oh, it's going to have a huge impact on this team. Uh, Ricky Rubio last year, uh, before he suffered the ACL injury, was playing some of the best basketball of his career. And that was coming off the bench for the Cavaliers. Yeah. I mentioned how young this team is. So his veteran leadership and his savviness on the floor was just terrific. And when you put him together with Kevin Love, of course, they were teammates in Minnesota. Uh, that's a nice one-two veteran punch coming off the bench. So uh, as you said, uh, Wojo said it, so it must be true uh, that uh, Ricky is going to uh, possibly make his return uh, on Thursday night. And Again, he's not going to pick up right where he left off. He hasn't played right. an NBA game in over a year. They're going to monitor his minutes. Uh, they're going to build him back into NBA playing shape and so forth. But uh, the return of Ricky Rubio, uh, the real impact wasn't intended for January or February. Uh, it's intended for right. March and definitely April and May when we get into that late season stretch and hopefully some playoff basketball because his decision-making, his savviness, his leadership both on and off the floor – uh, is something that really impacted the team last year. Of course, they bring him back this summer on the free agent contract, and uh, they expect the same from this season. He is just a, a remarkable player and a real benefit to JB in that locker room. Tim, I, if you can 
get to this part quickly because I do want to leave some time to talk about you here for a minute. But you had a chance to see Larry Markin, and again, you mentioned him earlier. Um, he's starting to look like the player that the Bulls had hoped he was going to be. Are you surprised that he's exploded the way that he has this year? No, I'm not. Uh, he he showed flashes of this last year with the Cavaliers. Uh, they hated to give him up. Uh, yeah. If you're going to get a Donovan Mitchell, you have to give up something. Uh, right. Sexton had been hurt last year. Not that they didn't value Colin Sexton, but they had only played in a few games before he went down. Of course, they hadn't seen a Baji in a Cavalier uniform, even though he was their first round pick. But uh, marketing was the key piece of that deal from the Cavs perspective. And when they put him on the wing last year, that really allowed him to develop that outside game, Travis. And he sparkled. It took him a while to get into it. Yeah. But everybody in the NBA was talking about that big lineup across the front line when we had Jared Allen, Mobley, and Marketing. And it was Marketing that was playing the three. So I'm thrilled for Lowry. He's a great young man. He's a terrific talent. And boy, uh, his success in Utah this year has been just off the charts. So uh, let's hope he can play in Salt Lake City for his home team as an all-star. You know, Tim, you, you mentioned this was your fourth year. We were, I'll do the air quotes here, rookies the same season. And there, there are 30 announcers, 30 radio play-by-play -play announcers in the NBA, and there are 30 different paths to get those mm -hmm. jobs. And, and they're all fascinating. But to me, yours is incredibly fascinating because you were a high school broadcaster for a long, long time and well-entrenched in that community. And you are now the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I don't know if it's like that for you, but it is for me. It's still weird to hear that, you know, even a few yes, years in. very much so. Tell our listeners in Portland a little bit about how you got to be where you are, because I'm, I'm sure in Cleveland folks know the story, but I don't think too many do out here on the West Coast. Yeah, as you said, Travis, uh, and it's very true, uh, we're, we're blessed. Uh, only 30 of us have the job to be the voice of an NBA team. And uh, I actually worked at an affiliate station on the Cavs radio network that was the next county over from downtown Cleveland. And I did high school sports in that market for 30 years, uh, high school football, high school softball, high school baseball, and a lot of high school yeah. basketball. And, uh, and, I, and as an affiliate station, uh, we also had a great relationship with the Cavs. And I was down at the arena quite often doing live shows from the floor and so forth. And there were also a lot of people within the Cavs organization uh, that lived on the west side of Cleveland, which is where the station was uh, that I worked for. And they would have either kids or nieces or nephews or whatever it may be, but they knew people uh, that were involved in the high school sports aspect of things in the Cleveland area. And unbeknownst to me, there was a, a lot of listening to me going on. And uh, <laughs> very sadly, actually, in September of 2019, uh, the Cavs' longtime television voice, and he was iconic in Cleveland. Fred McLeod uh, passed away very suddenly. He had a heart attack. And uh, so it was only three or four weeks before the start of the regular season. Uh, John Michael was the radio voice of the Cavs at the time. And so they transitioned John from radio to television. And I got the call, actually an email. I got an email saying, uh, would you be interested in something like this? And I almost fell off my chair because, as you said, uh, very <laughs> rare is the uh, the story of a guy going from covering basically high school sports, uh, doing play-by-play -play, uh, throughout the, the all three seasons of high school sports uh, to the NBA chair. But 
Uh, I relish it. I'm so honored and so blessed, and uh, I've loved every minute of it. Uh, the the broadcast location in Cleveland is known as the Joe Tate Perch. Of course, Joe yep. Tate, uh, a basketball Hall of Famer as far as announcing, and uh, we won't get into all the greats, but Joe ranks up there with all of the NBA great announcers, Johnny Mose, Chick Hearn, Joe Tate's in that conversation. Joe and I were very, very close on a personal level. And uh, so for me to sit in the Joe Tate perch uh, in downtown Cleveland, it's, it's the honor of my life. It really is. Well, you're certainly deserving of it. And I'm fortunate to call you a colleague in this business. And I've, I've got to ask you about this because a lot of us that do this are fans of other sports. And we were talking on the broadcast last night and my radio partner, Michael Holton said, you know, Hey, guards want to be bigs and bigs want to be guards. Well, you know, when you do basketball, sometimes you have this idea, like I want to call a baseball game here, there. You got the opportunity to fill in for the guardians and, and not just anywhere in, in Dodger stadium, which is one of the legendary venues in all of sport. You obviously, as you said, had experience doing high school baseball, um, but what was that like filling in doing major league baseball and in Dodger stadium in the Vin Scully press box? Yeah. Um, well, I've got long sleeves on, but you're giving me goosebumps right now because, uh, <laughs> when I, when I got the Cavs job, uh, Joe Tate, who I just referenced said to me, uh, he always called me Timothy, by the way, it was never just Tim, Timothy. Yeah. You know, we just had that type of relationship. He said, but Timothy, there's going to be a moment at some point you're going to look around and go, wow, you know, this is unbelievable. I've made it. And uh, I don't know if it was because I was around, uh, you know, the arena so much uh, in Cleveland that I got used to being in an NBA arena, and they're all basically the same. A basketball court is 94 feet, and the basket's 10 feet high, just like Gene Hackman talked about in Hoosiers. Right, So exactly. But baseball's different. Um, there's something unique about it. And, and Travis, I'll, I'll share with you and, and – you know, with your audience that when I stood there in that Vin Scully press box, as you alluded to, uh, and got ready to call the the Guardians and the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine, it really hit me. It just hit me like, what am I doing here? How did I end up here from doing <laughs> high school baseball to, you know, the Vin Scully press box signs all around and literally a few feet from where, you know, Vin, the greatest of the greatest, called the games for the Dodgers and you know, the sun was hitting the mountains behind center field. And it really, I welled up, I teared up. It was just, it was a magical moment for me. I, the station that I worked at uh, on the west side of Cleveland before I got the Cavs job, not only were they a Cavs affiliate and still are, uh, but an Indians, now Guardians affiliate. So I had a wonderful relationship with the Guardians people over many years as well. But mm -hmm. uh, just as I was stunned when the Cavs emailed me to say, uh, would you be interested in this position? Uh, when I got the correspondence last summer about doing uh, some Guardians games, I fell off my chair again. I got to get a new chair. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, you need a better chair. <laughs> <laughs> but th that was a huge honor. Uh, three games at Coors Field in Denver, beautiful ballpark. And then, of course, uh, as I just said, the the unbelievable opportunity to go to one of the cathedrals of baseball in Dodger stadium. It was so special. Tim Alcorn is with us here on the section 113 podcast. Tim, thanks so much for the time. I know you, you got a game to prep for tomorrow. I appreciate you fitting this into your schedule. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. 
Oh, Travis, you joined us uh, when we did our radio show for Cleveland. So uh, I was more than glad to return the favor. And uh, as you said, uh, we came into this league together. So let's hope we both stick around for quite a long time. Uh, I listen to you on Sirius. Your work is just outstanding. So uh, I appreciate you having me on and for your kind words. Big thanks to Tim Alcorn for joining us. It's the Blazers and the Cavaliers. Pre-game starts at 6. Mike Lynch will have that for you across the Trailblazers radio network. And then Michael Holton and I will have the call beginning at 7 o'clock. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on the Section 113 podcast. <laughs>